Cede. You're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show. You just heard right there from Seattle, Washington, Head with Killed by Death. And we have some callers on the line. Hello, are you there, callers? We are here. We're here. Who are you? Uh, we're Melissa and Kate from No Fun City Documentary, and we're screening the film this weekend. In, Va- in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Yes. And now, for the people that don't know Melissa and Kate, what is No Fun City? It's Vancouver. Baboom! <laughs> <laughs> really? But it's, uh, we're calling because it's a documentary. And, yeah, we're screening this weekend, and we're having a big show. It's kind of a fundraiser is what we're calling it. We're raising the fun. We're trying to uh, send the documentary on a tour because, as a lot of people know, Vancouver has some issues with sound issues, sound bylaws, gentrification, all these great things that make it really difficult to run a music space in our city. And a lot of people have been complaining about it for a long time, and so we made this film to kind of show our side of the story and apparently it's been happening in towns all over Canada and in other countries as well. So this is kind of a, a tightening of city regulations that people are feeling everywhere. So this film really relates to all kinds of cities right now. So that's cool. So and we're doing this fundraiser to send the film on tour. And this is tomorrow at the Rickshaw in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada at 7 p.m. At 7 p.m. it's movie time and at 9 p.m. it's band time? Yeah, that's right. And then at 3 a.m., it's bedtime. Boom times, too. And we're speaking here to Melissa and Kate from No Fun City, the movie. Now, Melissa and Kate, the Kinks, the Kinks movie, do it again. Oh, yeah. They open for you. The Kinks open for you. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. No, we have screened with that film. Yeah, we've been lucky to, uh, for some reason, we're always um, screening at the same time as that film. I actually haven't been able to see it yet because we've been so busy. But 
uh, yeah, it's been getting a lot of awesome press. I, like I think kinks. people love it. Yeah, and we love the Kinks. And this was at the Frozen Film Fest in San Francisco. I noticed you played with the Kinks. The Kinks opened for you. What was the reception for No Fun City there? And what was the reception for the Kinks? I know you didn't necessarily see the Kinks, but how did people like the Kinks No Fun City night? The Kinks! Because <laughs> that movie about the Kinks is quite amazing. It's about trying to get the Kinks back together called Do It Again. Yeah, I know, but I thought he didn't get them back together in the end. Anyways, I'm you're going to give away the film. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was great to show the film outside of Canada. We were pretty nervous, and I went down for it. Um, I mean, it wasn't as awesome, obviously, as Doxa. People aren't as familiar with our music scene, but, I mean, the people that were there were super receptive. Um, and so, yeah, it was cool. And obviously they, they also relate to that as well in San Francisco, which has also been called the No Fun City. Kate, your movie and Melissa's movie as well. But, Kate, your movie, because I guess each of you, how much do you guys agree to agree that it's like, is it 50, is it like part Melissa and part Kate? How much? <laughs> oh, uh, it's actually, it's, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> we've both, you know, put a lot of work and we've both brought, like, different skills. Like if, I say, like, if I say Kate, your movie, am I insulting Melissa? And <laughs> Melissa, am I insulting Kate if I do it the other way around? Yeah, she owes me a dollar everyone, every time anyone calls it her movie. So we, we kind of have a tax running. <laughs> so I will say, Kate, your movie looks incredible. It looks incredible. Such great editing. And the look, the look. That was Louis Lamb did the editing. Yeah, Louis Lamb. he's yeah. awesome. I noticed that he edited the two Corys. He did, yeah. <laughs> he edited a few TV shows, um, this really cool kind of indie TV show called Alienated. Um, yeah, he's, he's done some work. I've worked with him for a few years. That's how I know him. So we had to beg him to edit this for us <laughs> because there was no way we could do it. It looks incredible. Have a lot of people commented on it, like if they wondered what sort of cameras you used? Because you just used pretty much standard HD cams, didn't you? Well, we started... I mean, could anybody make this movie? That's the other second question I have for you. We, like, when people watch it, do they go like, oh, I could have made that, and are you happy if they're saying that because you're inspiring them? What sort of equipment is necessary to make a documentary? How much time, how much money, how much of your lives? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Like, it takes a lot of dedication and perseverance to make the film. Like, we just, we started making it with the... Uh, like a little handy cam, and we were just going to make it for the internet. Um, but then it kind of grew, and we got some friends on board who had nice HD cameras, and they did some shooting for us. And then uh, Lynn Booth and Make Believe Media found out about our film, and she got really excited about it. So she actually lent us her, um, it's a Sony um, EX3 camera, which is beautiful. Uh, so we tried to shoot as much as we could with that. So... I mean, we encourage anyone to go and try to make this film, but it, it is a lot of work, and it really helps if you know people who can help you out. Yeah, we pretty much had to, yeah, like beg people to get on board with us. I mean, we could have made a film without yeah. all these awesome people helping us and all of the, the upgraded gear that we eventually got access to, but we still would have made the film with our little, yeah. you know, HDV camera regardless. So, I mean, people shouldn't give up on an idea just because they can't afford the best equipment. Um, it's a lot of, I think more than anything, it's just the amount of hours you're yeah, going to put in, like, exactly. say goodbye to your life. We were lucky that our documentary consisted of, you know, and we could go out still because we had to. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
and our interviews were fun. But if you're going to make a documentary, like say goodbye to the next few years of your life, I'd say. And we're speaking here to Kate and Melissa from No Fun City playing tomorrow night at the rickshaw in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, 7 p.m. The movie's going to be showing in at 9 p.m. Bands, Vapid, Twin Crystals, Defectors, Furies, and special guests. So you had Louis Lamb from the two Corys helping out in editing, and then you had Lynn Booth helping out with the cameras, and she worked on the Beachcombers. <laughs> yeah, she did. So we have the two Corys, we have the Beachcombers, and then Kate, you worked on a Kevin Costner movie. Uh, New Daughter, yeah. And Melissa, you worked with Big John Bates. <laughs> So was that kind of the sum of No Fun City, the two Corys, the Beachcombers, Kevin Costner, and Big John Bates? That's exactly it. That's the film right there. You don't even need to go see it now. Equals No Fun City. Now, who coined the term No Fun City? I always thought it was Mike Usinger from the Georgia Strait, and I actually asked him, and he said, no, I can't take credit for that, although he used it a lot. Who termed the coin, and who turned the coin, and who termed the the coin, and who made the term no fun city i uh, you know i've spoken to a few people who've claimed that they actually coined it so it's hard to know which people have claimed that they coined it this guy from the cobalt yeah, he's got it. um and then i've just been hearing oh no this guy oh no it was because of this reason it's really hard to know and it comes back it comes in and out of popularity like the fury song no fun, no city. fun city i mean that was because i think they canceled the fireworks and they were just, oh, no, it was the millennium and where all the other cities oh, yeah. everywhere in the world were telling everyone to come out downtown and celebrate. Apparently in Vancouver there was a message going out, like, to stay in your homes and, you <laughs> know, close all the doors and windows. And, and he, that's why he made the song No Fun City. Well, the Furies did, which we love and is in the film. And, and, are, and are playing our show yeah. tomorrow. So you should come Indeed. check it out. The movie is called No Fun City, about Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and all the musical venues and all the great bands. It's kind of almost like, well, I was going to say it's almost like a documentary, but it's kind of almost like the CPAC channel. Do you guys think it's like the CPAC channel? You ever watch that? I don't watch it. You know, CPAC is just raw. I loved it because it was like no narrator. It was just like happening. It's like the CPAC. So you don't watch the political channel at all? That's the CPAC channel. I don't really want um, uh, Like Obama's channel? It's like the straight sort of stuff showing like parliamentary stuff and oh, they have guys yeah, walking yeah, yeah. around. Oh, it's just yeah. raw and uncensored. Okay. Did you kind of think about that at all? Just like the raw and uncensored <laughs> yeah, CPAC yeah, angle? Yeah. Like no narrator. No narration. I like hugely, I can't stand narrations. I think people should be able to express themselves and if we can convey what they're saying about what they feel, it's so much better than being preached to by someone else's voice. Like it, it's, we wanted it to be very organic, yeah. very natural coming from the people themselves so did you think at all about getting the local band no fun to be on the soundtrack no <laughs> we had so many people you know we kind of came up with a, a soundtrack of bands that we really heard out at the shows and who were kind of part of uh the scene or the venues that were mentioned in the film so we really took yeah. film um, bands that were you know played out a lot at the emergency room or bands that played a lot at the cobalt and and the sweatshop so it was kind of you know that as well we wanted it to become re- come really from the scene it's well i guess no fun have been rocking in surrey british columbia canada since 77 or 78 they're <laughs> called no oh, fun wow. and i just was thinking no fun would work great in no fun city david m legendary vancouver band Okay, well, there's so many great bands in Vancouver. It's 
It was really hard to include everyone. Well, maybe you can switch them in on the soundtrack for the bands that don't want to consent to the DVD release. <laughs> Have you had any trouble with that at all? Melissa and Kate from No Fun City, the movie, playing tomorrow night in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, at the rickshaw, 7 p.m. and 9 p.m., a whole bunch of bands playing. Have you had any trouble with bands refusing to give their money and to give their time and to give their music because they think their music is their money or anything? like that like I know for me my photo was in the movie you couldn't even see my face I was just there for five seconds <laughs> and you guys made me sign a release like you are on it aren't you <laughs> like, yeah we were really lucky I mean all the that, and that's another reason why probably no fun isn't in the film is because we also you know we had access to bands that were so awesome and let us use their songs we could never have afforded to do this this is believe me the cheapest documentary that you've ever heard of we had no budget so we were really lucky that all the bands donated pretty much their yeah. songs. They were really supportive, and they wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. So. Well, I thought it was incredible. They even asked me, you can't even really see me. There's a picture of me for like two seconds <laughs> in the thing. It doesn't even say what's it's going on. the best part. But why did... <laughs> Ba-boom, and that's the way it always should be. Uh, why do you do such a thing? Like, I, how thorough are you? Did you do that for every last little thing? Oh, uh, no, not really, but we... Well, we did it... For the most part, I'm sure they're, yeah, we tried to stay on top of it just because, you know, you, it's, I mean, if we did want to release it or if you yeah. do want it to travel or you need to have all the paperwork, that's like, you know, the other thing people don't realize is that, you know, you have to do all this work. And we learned the hard way, <laughs> like having to, you know, spend hours doing paperwork we never even dreamed we'd be doing. And, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a huge thing when you make a film like that, especially if you want it to not just go on the Internet. Like, we don't really have plans to broadcast it, but if we did, you know, if it does get screened anywhere or shown anywhere, you need to have your paperwork in order. I learned so much from the <laughs> movie No Fun City. And we're speaking here to Kate and Melissa from No Fun City, the movie. I learned so much. Like, I love that part. Maybe you can tell the people about Justin. Graydon and the, or is it Gradin or Gradine? I'm not sure. The, and the ER Parkade gig. I just know him as Justin. Oh, that was a fun gig. That, yeah, I guess they, they had started doing that. They had been doing it for about a year. Um, Keith Recker, who was going to school at Emily Carr, he's part of Sex Negatives with Justin. He realized there were power outlets in the parking garage at Emily Carr on Granville Island, so he thought, oh, why don't we put on a show here, um, which is pretty awesome, and that's what I like is that it shows people that you could just really set up a show anywhere if you want. My favorite part about it and the part that I love about the movie No Fun City, all the little tidbits that are revealed, how we talked about how they drained power from a Jessica Alba movie. <laughs> yeah. What movie was that? I want to rent it and see if I can see, like, the power going out in it. <laughs> yeah, the, the movie only goes to halfway. <laughs> and in black screen. Yeah. And also, you venture into the Cobalt, the backstage area of the Cobalt, and you get to see Wendy 13's pickled rat. <laughs> in the cooler, yeah. That suicided in shit water. <laughs> Kate and Melissa, what can you tell the people about the suicidal rat in the shit water <laughs> at the cobalt that's now pickled. <laughs> oh. I think the fur started falling off the rat, so she got rid of it. Yeah, I think you have to come see the film for that. <laughs> We're not going to give that one away. <laughs>
Now, also at the Cobalt, at the very end of the movie, not giving everything away, but there's a scene there with the subhumans playing, and it looks like Jerry of the subhumans mm. is kind of mad, breaking his bass. <laughs> Do you know why he was doing that at all? Well, I guess he was just, you know, sick of it all. It was a big moment. It, it overcame him. Because Wendy 13 turned around and went, wow, that's kind of tense. Who are we, the who? <laughs> so that wasn't because you guys were filming it all, was it? No. No, no. He's, he's great. They're great. And they, they were great supporters for us of the film. Um, and we got to, you know, just having them in the film for us is really awesome. But, uh, no, I think the moment just overcame everyone that night. There was a lot of mm -hmm. tension. There was tears. There was, you know. It this was is the end thing. of the Cobalt we're talking about, the last night of the Cobalt, the last official night of the Cobalt. Yeah. yeah. The ending speech that Wendy 13 did at the Cobalt with people cheering her name, that was an incredible moment. Yeah. Thank you for capturing that, Kate and Melissa of No Fun City. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Like the way you panned to the crowd and everyone's going, Wendy, Wendy, Wendy. That was incredible. Like that was almost like set up, but it wasn't. No, it wasn't. That's, people really love Wendy. She's like a mother to everyone in that community. Well, that moment that you captured of Jerry the Subhumans breaking his base just as <laughs> Wendy's speaking or finished speaking there, did anything else happen like that when you were filming? Like you were filming something and then something else happened as you were filming? Yeah. Like unexpectedly popped up? Oh, um, we're trying to, we're rocking our... Yeah. Like, were you filming anything and anybody yelled at you to stop filming? Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. People fingered the camera so many times. <laughs> yeah, one guy had a little sign that said, like, F go off. away, stop filming me or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends. There Sometimes, I mean, you you know, you're, you've got these big cameras and you go into this small party, and even though it's cool for everyone to be able to see that now, at the time, it's a kind of obtrusive. So sometimes we weren't the most popular girls at the party. <laughs> Kate and Melissa from No Fun City playing tomorrow in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Saturday, September 4th at the Rickshaw at 7 p.m. How much is it to get in and tell us more about the evening tomorrow? It's $15. Um, it's like you said, the film starts at 7 and then the bands start at 9. Um, we've got Vapid. All the, film, all the bands are actually in the film. So um, we have Vapid, Twin Crystals, Defectors and The Furies, who I was talking about before who are, you know, one of the first punk bands ever in Vancouver, um, who are coming, I don't know, I think they have to travel pretty far, Salt Spring, I think. <laughs> and, and we have a special guest we can't talk about. Um, and uh, Justin from Three Inches of Blood is going to DJ, um, and we'll have beer specials. Did the Furies do the soundtrack? They're on the soundtrack. Have... Who did the instrumental music of the No Fun City soundtrack? Oh, that was Brody McKnight. Or, sorry, Brody Knight from um, Sex Negative. Because that really turned out great. I thought the instrumental stuff really worked well. Yeah, yeah, he's really talented. It's really interesting of all the interesting bands that you kind of helped showcase there. My favorite of all of them in the entire movie, pretty much, was Masquerade of Silence. I love that band. It was playing at the Cobalt. Oh, I know. They are so yeah. incredible. And that kid is, I think, um, not to call him a kid, but Gabe is, I think, 20 yeah, Maybe? He's young. They're, they're, they're really young. young, and they're such an inspiration. Like, you know, I heard that, um, what was it, he wasn't, he had to finish high school, or he wasn't allowed to come and play at the Cobalt until he, like, finished his exam, so he studied really hard, and then eventually his parents let him play shows at the Cobalt again. But just to give you an idea of how important it is to these kids to have someone like Wendy and a place to play, 
that, you know, they can just show up and, and you, know, you know, there's going to be fans there and there's going to be people there, you know, and these kids are trying really hard to get their best grades so that they graduate, get into a good college, and then can come play back at the Cobalt. I mean, it's really important to young people, and I think that that's something, that's why we've got um, the Safe Amp people that are going to be uh, doing some, giving out information um, at the event as well, just to, you know, kind of explain to people, like, what the problems are and why we need to have all ages spaces and, and how we can get in contact with city council and try and be more proactive in, in getting these places opened or, or helping them remain open. Speaking of city council, Heather Deal, has she seen the movie and did you make her sign a release form? <laughs> we made her sign a release yeah. form. She attended the premiere. What was the feedback from everything? Like, for instance, has Agzam seen a movie? Who is Agzam? She's the only person that hasn't seen it. <laughs> Who is Agzam? Uh, he's he's um, actually one of the condo residents um, adjacent to the Cobalt. And he he's part of a community group, too. Yeah, and he manages that building, and I think he's just someone who's had to deal with, you know, just a lot of the things mostly related to the Cobalt Hotel. So he was a really good person to talk to because he was pretty up on things. He's quite blunt, isn't he? He's kind of like, we couldn't go after the Cobalt Hotel, so we went after Wendy. (laughs) I know, I know. We were kind of upset when we were interviewing him, but, I mean, he was speaking from his point of view as, you know, the manager of this condo building, and um, I think... Even he, even he understood, though, how it was important to have places like that. And, you know, I mean, he's not this big, bad, evil guy, but he was speaking on behalf of a lot of people who, you know, just share, his, share that opinion. I like the way how you tagged him. Neighborhood condo resident. <laughs> Exam. How about the Cobalt owners? Have they seen No Fun City by Kate and Melissa? No, no, I don't think so. How about the cops? Have they seen the movie? I heard there were other members of city council that were there. Um, I'm not sure if the... I mean, I'm sure that they've seen the, the trailer. I mean, that really has, has, had, a, has had long legs. But um, I'm not exactly sure. I know that Heather Deal really enjoyed the film and she was I mean she was giggling the whole way through Mm -hmm. and after you know she addressed kind of the audience had a lot of questions and there was a panel and she got up and you know people could just ask her questions and and she was really open and and it created this really great dialogue so I think people feel like she's much more approachable now so if we had anything to do with you know trying to help open these lines of communication then that's that's all we really ever wanted. I looked closely at the movie and did find, just closely by looking at the movie, you, smell, you spelled and you smelled Smiling Buddha wrong. Uh, can you not announce that on the radio? <laughs> That's okay. Most people we do did? spell it wrong. Yes. Uh, on your little, your little key that you provided. Oh, no, we got this awesome guy who did all the keys, by the way. What's his company? He's great. Justin Longo's hand-drew oh. all of our titling. It looked great, but it was spelled wrong. However, the most yeah. important thing is you got shots inside the Buddha. Were those actual shots of the Buddha in the inside? Yeah, they were. We were doing a, a little walking tour with David Dupree uh, around the downtown east side, and we were walking past the old Smiling Buddha, and it was open. The, it so happened that the Sahodas were trying to, um, they were they're showing trying to rent it, it out. Yeah. 
Yeah. So we, we just kind of went inside and started shooting. Thank you so much for those shots, because for years I've looked through the window trying to look in there and never seen it, but I got shots. I got some actual shots. I was able to look. I didn't shoot them, but I felt like I was seeing them right there in your movie. Thank you, Melissa and Kate, No Fun City. Isn't it sad to see what it's like now? I was just excited to see the ins- oh, the roof had collapsed and has been collapsed for years, but still it was neat to actually see the room, like to actually see the actual room. No Fun City provided that. That was a real, real upper. What new venues have popped up since the movie has been all done? Um, new ones? Yeah, what new venues have popped up? Like, obviously, the Biltmore is really happening now. Uh, well, the Biltmore was during the making of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, had we been filming for early, like, you know, it, it's hard to span the the life cycle of all these places. I mean, because the Astoria had had a lot of trouble and the Biltmore had, and, and then for a while that had calmed down, and then Hoko's got closed down, and then, you know, there's there's just, it's very up and down. Um, what new ones have opened since? Fortune Sound Club is doing really good, and I know that's a really loud place, and it's in a residential kind of, well, it's in the same neighborhood. The rickshaw's still open. And it's when great we, that the rickshaw can do all ages, right? Yeah. yeah. So your gig tomorrow night is all ages. Yeah, it is. So that's really interesting, having the rickshaw do all ages. That harkens back to the New York theater days. Yeah, yeah. totally, which is also in the film. In the film. Yeah, and I hear that they've been given, granted, some kind of permit to reopen that place as well. And what's kind of cool, and one of the side effects of having the cobalt kind of have to shift, is that, you know, places like Brandy's and Funky Winker Beans and all the places on Hastings now have kind of started picking up some of these shows, so... So instead of getting rid of metal in the neighborhood, it's just spread. Right. <laughs> and we're speaking here to Kate and Melissa from No Fun City, the movie, playing tomorrow night at the rickshaw, 7 p.m. in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, 9 p.m. for the bands, Vapid, Twin Crystals, Defectors, The Furious, at the rickshaw, all ages. You can check out the movie. Have you done any follow-ups at all with City Hall for perhaps some DVD extras? I was thinking City Hall right now has been in the news for having all this extra space. Did you hear about that? Yes. Like all these right extra all these extra rooms. What about doing some punk gigs at City Hall? <laughs> I know we should. Um, <laughs> maybe the mayor can start a band. Yeah, like maybe you can he plays drums, I think. Yeah. And, that's right. and you could like rent out one of the rooms above City Hall and do some gigs there. How about that for a gorilla gig? Why don't you put on the show? I think that would be totally amazing. A DVD extra for No Fun City. How did Rob Dayton help out with No Fun City? Oh, well, the first, I think when I first started shooting, I, it was at um, Victory Square that I ran into him, the Victory Square block party, which is also like happening this ago. weekend yeah. on Sunday, which is going to be a really great event. Um, and I ran into Rob Dayton, who was, I think, leaving. He was moving to Toronto and had a lot of funny things to say about the city. And I um, interviewed him and then worked that into the first demo before we even really made the No Fun City, the movie. <laughs> and he um, actually has a blog, too, all about Vancouver, yeah, right? I, yeah, he's very bitter, but he's kind of sarcastic and very funny so he he's just the perfect person to like exemplify the whole thing I think what's an update we talked about update on venues what's an update on some of the people involved with the movie like is Justin still in LA what's going on with the people in the movie Justin's still in LA and he actually opened up a space in LA like uh, I think it's in a warehouse um, and he's been putting on shows down there which is pretty cool um, David set the rickshaw and the yeah. rickshaw is stronger and better than ever Wendy's Wendy. putting on shows at Funky Winker Beans, and she's working with David to open up the hellhole. And so, yeah, that's a new venue she's trying to kind of 
get off the ground. So that's her main mission is to work with the city to try and get a space because there's been some dialogue between them, which is really positive and really cool. So hopefully, I don't know when it's going to be, but uh, the hellhole, Wendy's going to be back. Kate and Melissa from No Fun City, you also included Red One of the Rascals. You got the Rascals in there. Rascals, represent Rascals. One of the most important, if not the important, hip-hop group to ever come out of Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Northern Touch. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Yeah, we were shooting, actually, and um, I just saw him there on the street and was like, asked him if we could interview him, and he was awesome. And it was amazing because we learned that it's not even just the punk and metal scene that are facing these problems, but, you know, the hip-hop scene as well, they're, they, they're facing the same issues, and, and apparently it's been going on for a while with, with them as well. And so. they have their own DIY spaces that, and weird yep. warehouse parties that they've put together, which is all kind of great, but it, he was lamenting, I guess, the same kind of, you know, it's the same deal. So we were happy to be able to include people from other music communities. What's, Even though we didn't do, have that many, it was, it was good. You know? What's the future for No Fun City? I see that you're playing the Prince Charles Cinema in London, England. Yeah, yeah we have a UK premiere. At the Prince Charles Cinema. <laughs> yeah, Prince Charles called us up. And, um... Now, how hard is it to get a screening over there? Well, honestly, um, we were contacted by um, the music blogger, Paul Vickery, over there. He's uh, pretty involved in the music community, and he works at the cinema. And he had heard about the film. I think someone, he, he's been to Vancouver before, um, and he just really loved the concept and the idea. And we sent him the movie, and I think it took a while of convincing his boss to let him, you know, put on the screening. But eventually... Uh, they greenlighted it, and we've got this huge party that he's been putting together, and we couldn't be happier. As part of the Oxfam, well, the Oxfam fe- festival that's running all month, and it's uh, for the Oxfam charity. So yeah, it's like a festival where they they kind of um, they want people to have shows like DIY shows in your house, in your local church, or you know a basement somewhere, and then parts of the proceeds go to Oxfam. So it's kind of a month-long festival. But the opening of the festival is like the charlatans um, are playing with uh, Dan Lassac, and it's like a, it's a huge event. So it's really cool. We're really happy to be able to be, you know, a part of such a really, like, such a good new concept. Like, it's a good, mm-hmm. you know, innovative event. So. so the kinks have opened up for No Fun City, and now the charlatans are opening up for No Fun City. <laughs> yeah, only the best for us. <laughs> what can you guys do now? You've made a movie, No Fun City. Can you apply for Sundance? Can you apply for Slam Dance? What can you apply for? We what apply ca- for Slam Dance, but we haven't heard back from them yet. Yeah, so. what can you do? You've got this movie. You know, people out there have made a movie. Let's say somebody's made a movie, like you, Kate and Melissa, No Fun City. People can check out that particular movie tomorrow night at the rickshaw, 7 p.m. in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, doing a little benefit. So people have made a movie. What can you do once you've made the movie? What can you apply for? Aside from just taking it on the road, what can you apply for? You can apply for a lot. It doesn't mean you'll get it. Um, it's, a, it's kind of like, you know, we're really happy to be able to have the festivals. They're mostly music festivals have been really interested in screening the film. The whole film festival thing, I mean, you can end up spending a lot of money and not really getting much out of it. Um, We've been invited to some, and we've been accepted to some, 
And I think it's really tough. You put a lot of work and a lot of energy, and you want to get your film out there. And that's why, you know, we're having to do most, for the most part, it's pretty DIY, like the, like the film and, you know, like the subject matter. Well, anything us fans of No Fun City can look forward to? You're going to London. What else is coming up? What's the future after this? Anything else beside London? Uh, yeah, Pop Montreal, um, great festival in Montreal. They're um, screening the film. They've been having similar problems there with uh, noise um, issues. They've just passed a whole bunch of new laws in the plateau, like the nightlife district in Montreal. So they're really excited to screen the film. And uh, the DJ Gislain Poirier is going to be talking with myself uh, and on a panel with a McGill law professor, just all about this issue and how it affects urban centers and, you know, what can we do about it. So that's really exciting. Um, we're screening it in Winnipeg at the Pop Etc. Festival. Yeah. Um, Thunder Bay at the Bay Street Film Festival. Yeah. Uh, in New Brunswick at the Celestial, um, I think, in the Gunshy Zine Festival in Fredericton. It's going to, you know, and then as every day we keep getting these new dates added, so you have to check out the website for updates. What no sounds great. Like if I made a movie and you were my manager and you were just telling me now where the movie was going, I'd be very happy. <laughs> oh, we are. We're, we're like so ecstatic. It's just, you know, it's been a long slug. <laughs> Kate, what bars did your parents own? Oh, <laughs> how did you know wrong. that? <laughs> they owned, actually, they owned a bar called the Commodore <laughs> Hotel in Al Edson, Alberta, not in Vancouver. <laughs> so it was, it was like a mini version of the Commodore here, I guess. Oh, <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> um, they owned a few different bars. They, um, well, not just my parents, my entire family, they all kind of owned these bars, um, like a sports bar, a strip bar. <laughs> I find it really interesting. People from Alberta really are into owning bars, like Zach. Zach well, from right. Sled, he owns bars. Kate, you've owned bars or associated with owned bars. What about you, Melissa? What have you owned? Oh, not much so far. I own a huge debt, if you... <laughs> Coming up next for you guys, The Wrestling Life, This Wrestling Life? Oh, no, that's not ours. Oh, really? I saw it, like, on the little thing, the associated vids. Who did that? That's um, Make Believe Media, the company that came on board to help us out with No Fun City. That's actually a documentary that they did. Uh, it's a really good documentary, and it's playing on Super Channel all month. Yeah, it's about the local indie wrestling, underground wrestling community here. It looks brutal, actually, a lot of the wrestling. Quite amazing. Yeah. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all, Melissa or Kate, from No Fun City playing tomorrow night in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada? No Fun City is a movie. We should make that clear, right? No Fun City is a movie. Yeah, yeah. it is a movie. Oh, yeah, we do want to add that. Have you noticed um, I haven't said the word documentary this entire interview? Because <laughs> you don't like the word documentary, do you? We don't mind that word. Okay, I'll say the movie, the documentary, tomorrow, No Fun City. <laughs> Um, yeah, we wanted to say we realize it's a long weekend, not everyone's going to be in town, and uh, we are really stoked to be screening it again at the Olio Festival, um, and that's going to be screening at the Rio uh, at 10 p.m. on September 25th. And 7 p.m. tomorrow at the rickshaw, and you're hoping to raise a bit of money to be able to send you to meet Prince Charles. <laughs> Exactly. And no, it's like such a great opportunity as well to, you know, shed the no fun city reputation that we have because, you know, you wouldn't believe the city was no fun by watching the film. And right now we're going to end with your favorite band and my favorite band, Masquerade of... Yay! <laughs> and what can you tell the people Masquerade of Silence again? 
What can we what? What can you tell the people about masquerade? Oh, about them. Oh, oh, they're they're um they're really young and they're awesome, hardworking, um, just super talented kids. And it would really surprise you to see the lead singer, to see that voice come out of him. So that's why you got to see him in the film. So <laughs> tomorrow night, Saturday, September fourth, at the rickshaw, seven p.m. No Fun City, the documentary. Nine p.m. Bands, Vapid, Twin Crystals, Defectors, The Furies, and special guests. Here's Masquerade of Silence. Thanks so much, Kate and Melissa. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? No, we just hope to see everyone tomorrow night. Well, thanks so come much. Out. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do the loot do.
and you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And we have a caller right now. Hello. Caller, are you there? Hello. Hello, are you there, caller? Yeah. You're on the air. Is this Mr. Plow? Word. How are you doing? Good, buddy. How are you? Good. What do we have coming up today on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, Mr. Plow? Uh, me. You, Mr. Plow, and also special guests. The Mentors. The Mentors. And they should be phoning in shortly? I hope so. Great. I well, gave them uh, your number, and then uh, I gave you their number. Excellent. Well, thank you, Mr. Plow. <laughs> and I'll just mention right now to the listeners out there in Radioland, you just heard right there, well, actually, you just heard Mr. Plow. But before that, you heard Masquerade of Silence from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Actually, from New Westminster, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. New Westminster, British Columbia, Canada. And their song, Ignite. And that is from the soundtrack for No Fun City, the movie, which is playing tomorrow night in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada at 7 p.m. at the Rickshaw. Also, there are some other events going on in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada tomorrow night, Saturday, which we'll get into in a moment. Now, right now, joining us on the line with the formal introduction who are you? To some, I am a pain in the ass. To others, I am filled with the funny. Some just call me Mr. Plow. Some call me Plow. Some call me Mr. Pleasy. But to you, Nardwar, I am Plow. You are Mr. Plow live on the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. That is correct. Mr. Plow, you've introduced me to so much music that's out there. Including, kind of really, it's kind of hard to believe considering how much you know. Well, you have really helped me come along with my musical learning. For instance, I met you years ago at a gig when I stood up and said, Is there anybody who knows anything about Slayer? And who put up his hand? Me. You, Mr. <laughs> Plow. And you accompanied me to a Slayer interview. That's right. And we watched him eat yogurt. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Slayer <laughs> eating yogurt. And yeah. then I said, Mr. Plow... Slayer is the best. Is there any more metal? And you said, Nardwar, you should check out the band Quiet Riot. <laughs> Why, Mr. Plow, did I check out Quiet Riot? Why did you do that? Yes. Um, well, for me personally, it was more of a shits and giggles kind of thing to watch you go up against them. And uh, <laughs> I think it was uh, not shit or giggles. It was more of a... Uh, Incident that went awry. You were like a father steering the kid into battle. I knew nothing about heavy metal, and you said, you should talk to Slayer, Nardwar, and you should talk to Quiet Riot. And what happened when we went down to interview Quiet Riot, Mr. Well, Plow? Well, you are kind of famous for asking the oddball style of questions, and... Uh, uh, I guess they just kind of took offense to the questions you were asking them. And uh, Kevin DeBro, may he rest in peace, uh, I guess the best way to describe it, he threw a tizzy. It was weird because it was after the interview. The interview ended on do 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 
Yeah, boo, boo. Boo, boo. And we were walking out of Graceland, I think it was. And next thing you know, we were surrounded, Mr. Plow. What were you wearing that day, Mr. Plow? Uh, a hockey jersey that you made me wear and a goalie mask that was to represent uh, the mask from the Quiet Riot record covers. And I was dressed head to toe in plaid and Kevin Dubrow surrounded us. Actually, he didn't surround us. His peeps surrounded us. Guys that even played with like Randy Rose. I think, and said, you're not leaving here until you hand over the tape. And I guess I was afraid, so we handed over the tape, and it was crushed. And then they called the cops on us. Yeah, they uh, they wanted to charge you with doing a bad interview. <laughs> bad, bad boom. And it's good that people can't do that, because if I could be charged with doing a bad interview... You'd be in jail for years. I would still be in jail right now. <laughs> in fact, people listening to this right now probably feel like they're in jail. Let's re- rehash the Nardwarder Human Serviette, Mr. Plow, musical life. So, Slayer, we had Quiet Riot, and then a few years after that, Mr. Plow, you told me you were doing a lot of touring. For the people who don't know, how do you tour? You were in a band, Krusty's, at one time. The what? You were on Krusty record label. Okay, well, not the Krusty. That was, that was uh, my record label because uh, I just decided to go the whole DIY approach and uh, do things myself because other people didn't really seem to be motivated. So, uh, <laughs> excuse me, I did that and... Then I just uh, toured and toured and toured, and I am still touring to this very day. Now, when you tour, Mr. Plow, how do you tour specifically? I, Can you tell the people? It's just you, right? It is me in my, what I would like to call Betsy Number 2, which is a safari minivan because I had to put down Betsy Number 1 due to over-touring. Um, and it's just me in my van, sometimes going crazy because I have no one to talk to, and traveling all the way to the East Coast and back on many occasions. And you have met up with some interesting characters, namely Fishbone. You see where this is going right now. You <laughs> met Fishbone. How did you meet Fish and the Bone? The, the, the fish to the bone. Uh, I met them by acting as a roadie slash uh, every uh, once in a while opening act for DOA. They were doing a combo tour across Canada, and uh, we all just became chummy-chummy because we were fellow road warriors for two and a half weeks together. And Is that when Fishbone played Salt Spring Island? Uh, I think it was right after that. I think that's when we joined up together because we didn't actually meet up with them till Calgary. That was the first show where DOA opened for Fishbone, which it just kind of seemed like a really odd bill, but it actually worked really well. I think it was probably one of the mellowest crowds DOA's ever played for. So you're hanging with Fishbone, and they express an interest, as a lot of people have expressed a lot of interest in your music, and they wanted to sign you. At one time, yes, uh, turns out Norwood Fisher, the bass player of Fishbone, he runs his own record label, which I believe it is called Nutsactor Records. Uh, he's changed the name of the label a few times, but I believe it is Nutsactor. And he wanted to put out my very first record called Parts Unknown, which I had already released myself. He wanted to do the American release for it, but the thing was, I already had an American label based out of Vancouver, Washington, which I just thought was humorous because I'm from Vancouver, B.C., and 
on that, and that label was called Crazy Bastard Records. And an interesting thing about Crazy Bastard Records, six degrees of separation here, Nardwar, is another artist that that record label released was Corey Feldman. Baboom, who I interviewed. Many times, yes. Once. Ah, okay. <laughs> However, your association with Fishbone led you to Blowfly indirectly. Or you approached me and said, Nardwar, you should interview Blowfly. He's back on the scene. I'm like, what, 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 what? Yeah. The Fishbone Blowfly connection. And then I got all Blowfly. Thank you for Blowfly, Mr. Plow. I was, I was introduced to the world of Blowfly sitting on the back of the tour bus. Uh, I believe it was like Charlotte, North Carolina, with Fishbone, and they said, you must hear this man because he is like you, but more funk and R&B, and he's also the original Dirty Rapper, and right from the get-go, my mind was blown, and you were the first person I thought of, and you had already known about him. So thank you, Mr. Plow. Slayer... Quiet Riot, <laughs> Blowfly, and then you're like, dear son Nardwar. That's kind of creepy, actually. Nardwar, you should learn about what I do for a living. Oh. So one day, live, when I was on the radio, and live, because, well, actually, the person might have been dead, you phoned me. Could you tell the people that you introduced me to a whole other side that I didn't know, Mr. Plow? The, you mean the dark realms of Mr. Plow? The dark realms of Mr. Plow's celebrity encounters. Bruno Gerussi from the Beachcombers, or was it Relic? No, it was, it was, it was Mr. Uh, Gerussi. Yeah, uh, I used to uh, pick up dead bodies for a living. That is correct. And one day, you phoned an Ardwar to Human Serviette radio show with... <laughs> Mr. Jerusi in the back seat. I'll never forget that. And who knows who's in the back seat right now with Mr. Plow? Actually, I kind of have an idea who it might be. We'll get to that in one moment. <laughs> However, Mr. Plow is an interesting fellow. Your influences. You're probably the only person influenced Mr. Plow by Chris Arific, a CITR DJ, and Extreme Elvis. Mm. There are there are many influences. And influenzas as well, but Chris Arific, uh, uh he'll he'll attest to this that I gave him his first ever show that he has ever performed live. And when I watched that, it was uh, hmm, a spectacle. I'll put it that way. And Mr. Plow, you were also named number one bouncer in the city. Yeah, thanks to a bunch of people who uh, know how to stuff a ballot box. And I was actually at one time uh, known as best local male musician in Vancouver, thanks to the votes of the people of Vancouver in Georgia Strait. Once again, stuffed ballot box. And building up here again, so we got some Slayer, we got some Quiet Riot, we got some Blowfly happening, we got some Cobalt Bouncering, we got some Bruno Gerussi happening. We also have some marriage happening, the Riff Randall connection. Well, Oh, no, that's, that's, that's long gone. I'm actually really married now. And you are not really living in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada at this present time, are you, Mr. Plow? No, I am not. I am here on vacation. And as well, you had a CD rejected at the pressing plant because of your titles? Did you ever have that happen? Um, no. You may be mistaking me with the other Mr. Plow. 
Ba-boom! <laughs> From the United Kingdom. Now, Mr. Plow, we've mentioned all these things again. Bruno Gerussi, <laughs> Blowfly, Quiet back, yes. Riot. Let's move forward, Nardwire. Right now, you are about to let loose in the city of Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Which rock and roll band are you touring with right now? I am about to embark on the tour of Sleaze with nobody better but the Mentors. The Mentors! The kings of Sleaze themselves. Now, when did you first hear of the Mentors? I first heard of them... A billion years ago, when I first discovered the world of Gigi Allen, I was introduced also to the world of the Mentors. And then, as time progressed, I met a band in Vancouver at the Cobalt. Uh, Miss Wendy 13 was super-duper nice enough to let me open for a band called Kill Allen Wrench, which actually featured uh, Dr. Heathen Scum from the Mentors. And then uh, we ended up playing again a year later. I ended up doing Victoria and Vancouver opening for Kill Allen Wrench and, you know, just kind of stayed in touch over the years. And then the mentors kind of reformed and are reintroducing themselves to the world. And I was lucky enough uh, last month I got to open for them in Portland and Seattle as well. And today on the Nardwarta Human Serviette radio show, as your first job as tour manager for the mentors, thank you so much for introducing well, me to all these great things. Well, From I'm, Slayer I mean, to I'm, Bruno Gerussi, your first assignment <laughs> was introducing the mentors to me, Nardwarta Human Serviette. Thank you. And now we are waiting for their call, right? That's what we can reveal uh, to the listeners. I'm you, but uh, I'm, I'm more their opening act on this tour, more than a tour manager. They are, you know, mature individuals and can change their own diapers and the mentors and mr plow wow i never thought i'd be saying that the mentors and mr plow are playing tomorrow night at brandy's yes you got to get the right brandy's though there's two i hear there are indeed this is the brandy's on hastings street correct yeah it, do not go to the strip bar <laughs> that's tomorrow mr plow and the mentors. The now, kings of sleaze, yes. Mr. Plow, do you think you might be able to tell the mentors to phone in if possible? We remind them to phone into the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show? As I'm talking to you right now? What I thought what I'd do is I'd play a couple tunes from Mr. Plow. Some new stuff by Mr. Plow. You send me some new stuff here. Should there be a warning before I play this stuff, Mr. Plow? I can't even remember what I sent you. Just because you're hot and you only like me for my weed. Ah, uh, the weed song does not need uh... a warning. So we'll give a warning for just because you're hot. Tune out now well, that, uh, if you're easily offended by any adult language or situations. Again, it just, it just has a few F-bombs in it. So please tune out if you're easily offended right now because Mr. Plow is coming up with just because you're hot and you only like me for my weed. And we probably will throw in a couple mentors there as well. So if you could possibly, Mr. Plow, contact the mentors for me, would that be okay? I'm doing it right now as we speak, Nardwire. Great. Okay, so here's some new... This is rare, Mr. Plow, isn't it? What can you tell the people about that? There's a lot of stuff to tell the people, but this is rare, Mr. Plow, isn't it? This is uh, brand new. It is pretty much like the pre-production demo version of songs that will be coming out uh, 
I'm hoping uh, possibly by the end of this year or early next year. It all depends on uh, if I'm able to record with a certain individual or not. Well, thanks much, Mr. Plow. Hope to hear back from you shortly. Here's some new tracks by Mr. Plow and Mr. Plow. Do 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 do. Poo poo.
you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And that was Mr. Plow with You Only Like Me For My Weed. And before that, Just Because You're Hot by Mr. Plow, who's playing with The Mentors tomorrow night at Brandy's on Hastings Street in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. We're trying to hook up with The Mentors right now, and while we're waiting for The Mentors, I thought I'd play a couple Mentors tracks, but before that, I thought I would reward you listeners for listening to the Nardwarty Human Serviette radio show with not tickets to The Mentors or not tickets to No Fun City, but tickets to go see the Bell Rays from Riverside, California. Yeah, the Bell Rays are playing at the rickshaw this Tuesday, September 7th, coming up with the Belladines Little Guitar Army and D.B. Buxton. If you want to call in to see... Actually, right now, before we do that, let's see who we got here. Caller, are you there? Did they call you yet? No, they have. Hello, is this Mr. Plow? Yeah. Um, no, they have not called yet. Thank you for the, thank you for phoning in, though. <laughs> um, I texted him. I've called him twice. The first time, it seemed like it went straight to voicemail, and then the second time, it just kept ringing, so I thought maybe he was on the other line calling you. Well, thank you, Mr. Plow, for trying. Really mm-hmm. appreciate it. We just played two of your tracks, and now we're going to give away some tickets to go see the Bell Rays on Tuesday before we kick into a new number by the mentors, Donkey Dick. That's actually an, old, an oldie but a goodie. Oh, that was one of the ones that you sent me, Donkey yeah. Dick. It is an oldie but a goodie. Maybe you could tell the people just quickly before we kick into the mentors, who's in the mentors right now? Because sadly, El Duce is no longer in the mentors. Yes, he has passed on. And at the moment, it is Sicky Wife Beater and Dr. Heathen Scum and... The madman known as Mark DeLeon. And we're waiting for them to phone into the Nardwarda Human Serviette Radio Show. Thanks for trying there, Mr. Plow. I have a feeling they may be at the border. Which, which could make things a bit interesting, <laughs> talking to you on the phone while trying to <laughs> clear the border. <laughs> With the mentors. So yes. I thought to reward the listeners, we'd give them tickets to the Bell Rays, the exact opposite of exactly. the mentors. Give, give them something clean and fresh. The Bell Rays. If you'd like to win some tickets to go see the Bell Rays, just phone 604-822-247, UBCCATR. This Tuesday... We can put your name on the guest list. Your name will be at the guest list at the door. It's the Rickshaw Theatre. It's the Bell Rays with the Belladines, Little Guitar Army, and D.B. Buxton this Tuesday. What a show at the Rickshaw this Tuesday, 8 p.m., 604-822-247, UBCCATR. And we'll put your name on the guest list to go see the Bell Rays. Now, r- Bell Rays. And right now, here is some mentors. And hopefully we talk again, Mr. Plow, with the mentors and... Doot doot a loot do. Po po. I got a donkey dick. It's a hell of a fat. I got a donkey dick. 
and you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwater Human Serviette Radio Show, as we try to track down the mentors who are playing tomorrow night in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, with Mr. Plough. As Mr. Plough does tomorrow, Saturday night, at Brandy's. As Mr. Plough mentioned, and I mentioned, sadly, El Duce... The mentor's singer and drummer has passed away. Interestingly enough, he passed away, as many of you know, only like a few days or weeks, it might even been days, after being interviewed for the Nick Broomfield movie, Kurt and Courtney. Here is a clip from that movie. This is one of the things I want to ask the mentors, the surviving mentors about was Divine Brown, Divine Brown's pimp led Nick Broomfield to Eldon Hawk, a.k.a. El Duce of the mentors. And I was wondering, did he hang out with Divine Brown quite a bit? I'm really quite curious about that. So right now, here's the interview from Kurt and Courtney did El Duce of the mentors did with Nick Broomfield all about Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love. Rest in peace. If you could, please, El Duce. With Divine Brown's pimp, a close personal friend of El Duce's who said he could put us in touch. Let me give it. Okay. Back, Vixen. Back. Is that? It looks like him right there, actually. That is. That. That's the one. There he is, El Duce. There he is, right there. So he's. Uh. Hey, I got some. Courtney Love. There. There it is. This is him, El Duce. This is the. Hey, he's. Where's the booze? Sure, the dog won't get out and attack us here. This is dog angry dog. A perverted. He's just a perverted. Yep, a warped. Uh, <laughs> intoxicated, most of the time. So, but you, uh, you did some deal with Courtney, right? Yeah. Well, she offered me fifty grand to whack Kurt Cobain. Yeah, I was telling you. So. She what? 50 grand to whack Kurt Cobain. And that's that's, that's a fact, is it? <laughs> but uh, people might think you're not the most reliable witness. Well, that's too bad. You may not be the reliable witness your own self. <laughs> now think about that one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when she offered me money, God! Dang, I wish I would have taken it, man. But I I know who whacked him. But how were you going to whack him? Did she tell you how to do it? Yeah, blow his fucking head off. So she where were you going to find him to do it? Well, up there, and uh, she gave, you know, mapped it out. I mean, you know, up there in uh, Bellevue, wherever they live, right outside Seattle. I know right where the house is. I know right what, what uh, garden to pop him in. Uh, I, just, I just didn't think she was serious. And you're still listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And caller, are you there? Yeah, this is Heathen of the Mentors. Yes, who are you? I'm Heathen Scum of the uh, world-famous Mentors Super Rock Group. 
And he's in Scum. Who else is in The Mentors? Well, The Mentors features myself, of course, uh, original founding member. Also, we have Mark Mad Dog DeLeon taking on the uh, drum and vocal share since the unfortunate de- demise of uh, El Duce. And we have uh, also a founding member, uh, Sicky Wifebeater, on guitar. Heathen Scum of The Mentors playing in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, tomorrow night at Brandy's on Hastings Street with Mr. Plow. Some people have labeled your band a heavy metal freak band. I always thought you guys as a punk band. Well, we, uh, we're a crossover group. We, we hit the demographic for both crowds. For the heavy metal fans, we have the uh, spectacular guitar solos and incredible musicianship. Uh... For the punk uh, group, we have uh, sex on stage and uh, urination uh, on stage and things of this nature. And Heathen Scum, this all goes back to Seattle, Washington. Did the band really form the Mentors in 1976? Uh, well, it actually goes a little bit uh, further back than that. The, uh, the three original musicians, myself, Sicky Wifebeater, and El Duce, started playing together, uh, I think, in... Uh, 1974 or something like that, but we didn't go under the mentor's name, of course. And we uh, we did start in Seattle, and we started playing as the mentors, I believe, in it's been so long now, I really can't remember, but somewhere around 1977 or something like that. Was anything recorded back then of the mentors? Because you didn't have releases till a couple years later. Uh, yeah, some of the stuff, there's an album called Sex, Drugs, Rock and Roll, where there's a live side on that, and and some of that was recorded uh, in Seattle before we left for uh, Greener Pastures in Los Angeles, and I think that was probably recorded in 77, maybe 78, something like that. Heathen Scum of The Mentors, you went to Roosevelt High School with Duff and Nikki Six, Duff from Guns N' Roses and Nikki Six. Uh, well, Nikki Six definitely went there. Uh, we were friendly with also Duff, but to be honest with you, I don't remember him going to uh, Roosevelt. I'm not sure which high school he went to, but he used to play in a band called the Cheaters that opened for us a couple of times when we uh, used to rent out, um, you know, VFW halls and things like that. But uh, Nikki Six was the um, boyfriend of this uh, girl that was actually El Duce's sister's best friend at the time, so he spent uh, some time hanging out over at El Duce's house. How would it ma- at that point in time, he was uh, you know, a couple of years younger from us, so we didn't really pay much attention to him. How about in L.A.? Did you ever hang out with Nikki Six at all, or did El Duce or yourself ever go over to Nikki's uh, house? No, because El Duce, unfortunately, he, he had kind of a big mouth, and he would talk a lot of shit about Nikki Six. Unfortunately, he wasn't really in the ass-kissing mode, which, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, might have been a better way to go, but... <laughs> He he uh, he would be quite adamant how he thought Nikki Six was you know uh, a homosexual and things of this nature and so there was always kind of an animosity between the two groups as a result of that shit talking that El Duce in particular you know El Duce was a heterosexual activist he felt strongly that it was not right and I, I frankly have to agree with him on this that it's not right for men to wear nail polish. Uh, eyeliner, mascara, things like this. This this does kind of have a gay, you know, kind of uh, tinge to it. So I'm not accusing him of being, you know, that way, of course. But El Duce was very strong in that these type of people uh, really deserve the death penalty. And so that did create a big rift between us and the glam rockers. As you know, we have this 
song called Heterosexuals Have the Right to Rock, where we speak very freely about how we, you know, don't like the uh, gays in rock. And, you know, even today we're recording, you know, new songs against people like Adam Lambert, you know, these type of individuals who are trying to uh, seduce the young children into the gay lifestyle. And you again are heathen scum from the mentors, acting this way since 1974. You've had these beliefs, haven't you, since 1974. Have your fans, have your fans ever been mad that you haven't been as extreme as they want you to be? Uh, you mean like a Gigi Allen type person? Like somebody looking at the mentors and thinking, oh my God, you're not over the top anymore. Yeah, there are some. There, you know, you attract a wide spectrum of people in the in the uh, music business, and there's some people that feel that we're not as extreme as we should be. Yeah, some people feel that we should actually kill fags on stage rather than just sing about it. But we're thinking about that. You know, we're we're considering it. And again, these are the opinions of heathen scum of the mentors, and only heathen scum of the mentors who will be appearing. You can face your fans tomorrow night at Brandy's on Hastings Street in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Growing up, heathen scum of The Mentors, what was the first punk gig that you saw? The first punk gig that I saw? Boy, that's a tough one. Probably the one that I played, I guess. I mean, when we started, the whole punk rock thing was just beginning, you know, with the Sex Pistols and the Ramones and all this kind of stuff and we kind of got we're somewhat inspired by that and so but i never saw the sex pistols of the ramones i'm trying to think what it might have been i'd maybe the first who who yeah i never saw that and he's he's mentioning that was my drummer here mark the, mad dog is suggesting that maybe i saw uh the tupperwares was yeah, it the tupperwares yeah but i never saw that i was i was against that that was sort of hypocritical of el duce to one hell speak against gays but then the other end be in a band with not one but three or four gays so because the tupperwares were a great band that was pre-screamers and el duce was in the backup band for the tupperwares yeah, he was absolutely the drummer in the band yeah mm -hmm. in 1978 there was like a riot at the with the dills at the bird do you remember that at all the bird a venue in yeah, seattle yeah. we used to we used to play the bird quite frequently yeah yeah and uh yeah we did play with the dill several several times chip and the other guy tony or whatever the guy's brother was yeah it, you know it's kind of funny you mentioned it you're bringing kind of cobwebs are coming off i, I do remember playing with the joey shithead guy what, what was his his band is from canada right what's that called uh, doa yeah, DOA. I think we played with them a few times. In fact, one of our first gigs was at a, I don't remember the name of the club, but it was a club up in Vancouver that we were asked to play. I think it was the first time we'd really gone out of Seattle to play, and we were booked there for a three-night stand, and we came in on Friday night after getting held up at the border. The guy let us play for 10 minutes, paid us for the rest of the three days, and told us to get the fuck out of the club. And you stayed in Stanley Park, right? We stayed in Stanley Park. We had nowhere to go, so we slept in El Duce's truck in Stanley Park, and we were rousted by the cops a couple times. Heathen Scum of the Mentors, playing tomorrow night in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, at Brandy's. I wanted to play just a quick little clip here of Frank Zappa talking about the Mentors. What is this from when Frank Zappa was talking about the Mentors? Well, as I understood it, he actually testified uh, before the United States Senate or a committee of the Senate that was looking into 
obscenity in music. So I believe that was the context of his speech where he mentioned the mentors. And members of Congress had to read back your lyrics, didn't they? Because you didn't actually go there to read your lyrics. Or could oh, have you no, gone we to... Weren't, we weren't allowed to, no, but there was a... There was... I don't know... I. I'm not really recalling exactly what senators were involved. I think Robert Byrd uh, might have been involved, the great senator from Virginia. But there was a guy reading the lyrics of the song Golden Showers on the, uh, uh, you know, into the Senate record. They wanted to put that in the record officially to demonstrate this horrible music that was corrupting the youth. And so this guy read the lyrics of the uh, song into the Senate record, and that was, you know, part of the legend of what happened. And here it is, right here. testimony. This was the most sensational part of the hearing, as far as I was concerned. This is the part where the Reverend recites the lyrics to Golden Shower by Mentor. Listen, you little slut, do as you are told. Come with Daddy for me to pour the gold. Golden showers, all through my excrements you shall roam. Bend up and smell my anal vapor. Your face is my toilet paper. On your face I leave a shit tower. Golden showers. Mr. Chairman, that concludes my remarks, and I thank you. I'm sorry, your time has expired. and smell my anal vapor. Your face is my toilet paper. It's outrageous filth. Uh, and outrageous filth. Uh, and we've got to do something about it. So what happened, heathen scum, after all that? Was something done about it? Well, as a result of, of uh, the mentors having these horrible lyrics, and that was Senator Ernst Hollings saying that was outrageous filth, by the way, um, the uh, and Tipper Gore was a the uh, I'm trying to remember the uh, wife of Al Gore, who was the vice president at the time. They wound up negotiating with the record industry to put labels on the albums, designating them as adult content, so that parents would know before they bought a mentor record for their ten-year-old kid that it might have some obscene lyrics in there. The theory being that parents were buying these records for their kids for Christmas and their birthday and didn't know what the lyrics were, then the kids would go put on the records and become then overnight, you know, debauched and corrupted instantly from listening to this stuff. So as a result of that, uh, I think millions of children were saved from a horrible fate of being corrupted by the mentors. It's interesting that Frank Zappa calls you mentor. He doesn't say mentors, does he? No, he doesn't. In fact, the song was called Golden Showers in the plural, not Golden Shower. Now, keep in mind that myself, Sicky, and El Duce were all huge, and well, still are, huge uh, Zappa fans, so he got a pass on that. But it was a little disappointing that one of our great heroes didn't even know the actual name of our band. But Zappa was one of the few mainstream people to come to your defense. Who came to your defense, and who did not come to your defense? Well... <clears throat> Really, nobody was coming to the mentor's defense other than Frank Zappa, I think. There was many of these other groups were throwing us under the bus. The groups such as Wasp or, you know, uh, these type of groups that were more interested in pandering to the um, lowest common denominator, they were not exactly supportive. You know, we called up, we tried to organize, you know, a march on Washington, D.C. in favor of mentors. We invited all of the supergroups of the time 
such as WASP, but they, they refused to participate. So we, we felt we were uh, backstabbed by the heavy metal community that wasn't supporting mentor or mentors <laughs> to the fullest extent that they should. It's interesting also, and there's a lot of interesting stuff about the mentors, the word interesting. They called it the U.S. Senate Porn Rock Hearings from September 19th, 1985. The U.S. Senate Porn Rock Hearings? Uh, yeah, I suppose they did call it that. That, that, was, uh, that was what we call our music was porno metal, porn rock, and so they, that was what was given the name of, of the, uh, the hearings, the porn rock hearings. So you're playing in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and you have a new vocalist. El Duce had quite a unique vocal styling. Your new vocalist has quite a unique vocal styling as well. How unique were El Duce's vocals? Well, you know, you can't, you can't replace uh, uh, El Duce completely, but the individual that we have, Mark Mad Dog De Leon, uh, is a... Uh, you know, close facsimile thereof, and uh, he was actually studied under El Duce. He was taught to play drums by El Duce, so this is uh, you know pretty pretty close. Uh, he does have his own style. Many people tell me that they cannot distinguish the two vocally, but of course I can. You know, being a a uh, you know member of the group, I can tell the difference between the two uh, individuals when they sing. Uh, but uh, you know, we try to. Uh, stay true to the original mentor style when we play. Uh, we normally have uh, pornography plastered all over, over our drum set, just like El Duce taught us to do. And, uh, you know, do all of the uh, classic songs and in, in the same arrangements that are on the album. So, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to bring the, uh, keep the mentor's live experience true to how it was in the 70s and the 80s, and I think we're doing a reasonably good job of it right now. Winding up here with Heathen Scum of The Mentors, playing tomorrow night in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, at Brandy's on Hastings Street. El Duce, he worked as a spotlight operator at Ivers. What was Ivers? I keep thinking of Ivers Fish and Chips and your Seattle <laughs> no, connection. No. No, it's not Ivers Fish and Chips, although we did spend a lot of time at Ivers Fish and Chips growing up in Seattle. But there was a, a strip joint in California on, uh, in Hollywood called uh, Ivar, the Ivar Theater because it was on Ivar Street. And it was a rundown uh, strip joint filled with uh, junkie chicks uh, stripping and hooking out of there. And he ran the uh, light booth up on the uh, third floor balcony that uh, we would illuminate the spotlights on the uh, chick's uh, private parts and, uh, you know, announce the new strippers to come out and things of this nature. So that was one of the jobs that uh, he took to, uh, you know, maintain his lifestyle uh, between the mentor shows. What's the connection between El Duce, heathen scum, and Divine Brown's Pimp. There's that movie by Nick Broomfield, Kurt and Courtney, and it talks about Divine Brown's pimp leading people to El Duce. Well, that's correct. Uh, you know, we uh, we lived in Hollywood for many years, and so we were knowledgeable of all of the pimps and drug dealers there. And one of the uh, people that we were affiliated with was a gentleman by the name of uh, Rick Lomas, who also went by the name of Insect on Acid. And, again, to supplement his income, because the mentors would not always pay all of our bills all the time, he took up uh, pimping and pandering as a side job. And he did wind up, uh, you know, pimping and pandering, allegedly, uh, with Hugh Grant, 
uh, and so that was quite a big scandal where our close, uh, uh, you know, um, in fact, he was a drummer that uh, would fill in for El Duce when El Duce would get too plastered to play Insect on Acid. So he achieved a greater fame as Divine Brown's pimp, um, went on Jerry Springer, I think, twice with Divine Brown, um, uh, Judge Joe Brown, uh, Judge Judy. Yeah. Heathen scum. What about the movie Kurt and Courtney? In it, El Duce is alluded to being involved with something mysterious regarding Courtney Love and Hole. What do you think about that? What were your connections to Hole? Because I noticed that Sicky Wifebeater, your guitarist, did he at one time go out with a member of Hole, Carolyn of Hole, from the early version of Hole? Well, yes. In fact, uh, myself and Sicky and uh, Carolyn Rue. Her real name is Carolyn Gomard, by the way, but uh, Carolyn Rue, who was the original drummer of Hole, uh, lived together uh, out in uh, North Hollywood. We shared a uh, house with a pool out there for a couple of years. Um, but, uh, yeah, El Duche allegedly was, you know, approached by Courtney Love to uh, assassinate her husband because she was advised by her other, um, whoever was advising her, allegedly, that... Um, Kurt uh, would be worth more dead than alive. As you know, most rock stars are, are worth more dead than alive. It increases the value uh, considerably uh, to have, you know, so the rocker is dead, so he can't make any more stuff, so it, you know, makes you more. Like, look at Jimi Hendrix. You know, if he was still around, he'd probably be playing, you know, Bumbershoot on the second stage or, you know, some crappy bar opening for Randy Hansen. But, you know, now that he was, you know, killed, allegedly also, at a young age, uh, his estate is worth millions, if not billions of dollars. So this is what allegedly happened. Of course, I had no direct involvement with this thing. But uh, if you ask me, you know, is it true or not, uh, based on what I've read and what I've heard, I would, I would ascribe a great deal of credence to this, this rumor that went down. Did Courtney Love ever see the mentors? Uh, to my knowledge, no, but, you know, uh, we've, it's, it's hard to tell because she's the kind of girl you really wouldn't want to look at very closely. I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, famous show, The Jersey Shore, but they have a name for these kind of girls. They call them grenades. Also, it's hard so, for you to see, isn't it, wearing your hood, right? When you wear your hood, well, it's hard to see yeah, out of the hood. Very, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to see. I'm very nearsighted, so... You know, you put a lot of things together. She's not the kind of person that would you would see her and would, would be looking at for very long. And now, you know, she has had a lot of plastic surgery, and she does look a lot better now. But back in those days, I probably wouldn't have given her a you know, second glance. Have people contacted you regarding the Cobain-El Duce-Courtney Love situation? Like, for instance, did Cobain investigator Richard Lee ever contact you? He's this guy from Seattle that's been investigating the murder. Oh, yes, yes. He, he flew to, uh, to my home in Riverside and interviewed me there. He's interviewed me in Seattle several times. Uh, I've been contacted by numerous people with regard to this, uh, this alleged conspiracy theory by El Duce to, uh, to assassinate Kurt Cobain. And we're winding up here with heathen scum of the mentors playing tomorrow night in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada at Brandy's. Lastly here, I just wanted to ask you some of the mentors' vocabulary. The mentors' vocabulary. There's yeesh. What is yeesh? Well, that's a good question. To answer that question, I would like to put on the phone to my colleague in, in uh, Perverted Rock, 
uh, Mad Dog, who will answer that question for you. He's going to tell you what yeesh means. Hello. Hello. This is Nardwar from CITR Radio wondering about mentors' vocabulary, Mad Dog. What is yeesh? Well, what yeesh is for me is uh, I'll be walking, let's say, through a mall, and I'll see a nice girl with her ass hanging out of her little tiny shorts. And and if I'm the only one that sees it, I go yeesh. And then without drawing any attention, it means everybody around me and my crew will will pretty much uh, beam in on what I'm looking at. What is? And they'll, and they'll be aware of it. What is Jack and Crash? Well, that's kind of explanatory. Jack and Crash means uh, pretty much didn't get no action that night, so you're going to go home and you're going to jack and you're going to crash. Trunk up. Trunk up is when uh, you know it's going to be about two o'clock and you don't get out of the show till about three o'clock in the morning. So you better trunk up on a lot of booze before the show ends. So uh, you got to you got to keep the party going all night. And lastly, could you hand the phone back to Mr. Heathen Scum at all, Mad Dog? Yes. Thank you so much. Okay, well, I hope that answered your questions about the uh, mentor's vocabulary. That was amazing, Heathen Scum. Are you guys still into jack-in-the-boxes? Uh, jack-in-the-boxes? Well, yeah, sure, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, maybe not as much as we used to, but uh, absolutely. How did officially El Duce die? Well, El Duce was uh, hit by a train, a Union Pacific freight train, going about 50 miles an hour close to our home in uh, Riverside, California, where he lived with me and my wife and uh, in our recording studio. He had gone up after a uh, long day of drinking and the previous night of rocking all night, and uh, he went up to the store to buy some more beer and hot dogs and stuff like this, and he was crossing the railway tracks. The uh, bundle of food that he had, the bag, he'd asked for paper, apparently, instead of plastic. There wasn't enough paper in the bag. The bag ruptured. The hot dogs and beer spilled onto the tracks. He, in his inebriated state of mind, bent over to pick up this uh, all this stuff. He didn't want to abandon it to the train, and the train struck him at a high rate of speed, which then resulted his in his sudden uh, death. How many days was that after the Nick Broomfield interview? Well, I couldn't tell you exactly how many days, but I would say it was approximately two or three months afterward that. Something like that. Maybe maybe a little less. Well, thanks so much for phoning into the Nardwarty Human Serviette radio show. Heathen Scum and Mad Dog of the Mentors playing tomorrow night in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada at Brandy's and then going right across Canada or doing some gigs in Canada, right? You're doing a couple gigs. Yes, we're doing several gigs. We're performing with Mr. Plow, who's a good friend of ours. We've played with him several times in the past, so we're looking forward to getting up there and partying with all of our you know, fine friends up there in Canada, making some new friends and enjoying the wonderful alcoholic beverages, some Canadian mist, you know, whiskey and, and Molson beer, things of this nature. We're looking forward to greatly uh, over the next week. We're going to end with the song Get Up and Die. What's the story behind that one, Heathen Scum of the Mentors? Well, again, Get Up and Die was uh, was directed at the New Wave movement, uh, which kind of came before the glam rock movement, where the New Wave movement would celebrate uh, wimpy, uh, homosexual-type people with little skinny ties playing crappy music. And so that was, uh, if you listen to the lyrics, it's all about El Duce saying, you know, it's time for them to die. 
And that actually, the title "Get Up and Die" came from some uh, an idea that El Duce had for many years prior to that, which was a movie he talked about making for many years, just about uh, all kinds of random killing and things like this. He was very uh, much a fan of horror movies and things like this. There was a particular movie called uh, "Speak of the Devil." Yeah, Mark of the Devil. Yeah, that was very influential on the mentors and El Duce in particular. The whole hood thing came from his watching a Mark of the Devil and all of the killing and things. As it turned out, he was finally able to hoodwink a filmmaker named Gary Pressman to make a trailer for this movie called Get Up and Die, where Tomato Duplenty gets his head cut off and things of this nature. So it was uh, paradoxical that the punk rock movement or the new wave movement came to embrace the whole concept of being, them being killed by El Duce, at least on film. Well, that's great. The Screamers live on. One of the greatest bands ever. Yeah, well, they're certainly very legendary. Uh, you know, it's uh, just... Uh, did you ever you know, play with... What happened to Tomato, you know? Did, but, you, uh, did you ever play with the Fastbacks at all? You know, I think we did. I think we did several times, or at least... Uh, yeah, they were all affiliated with the Cheaters and all of that. So, I, you know, it's really hard for me to remember exactly who was in what band when we played, but... Yeah, I do, I do believe we, we played with some incarnation of them a couple of times. Well, thanks so much, Heathen Scum. Anything else you want to add to the people out there? Why should people care about the mentors? Well, I think people should care about the mentors because we care about the people. I mean, we're, we're there rocking for them. So, you know, without the fans, uh, to we want to save the fans from uh, shitty music and bring to them real uh, professional, uh, you know, music that will be listened to in a thousand years. I mean, you can either listen to Britney Spears or you can listen to Beethoven. Well, you know, mentors are in that Beethoven category. Well, thanks much, Heathen Scum. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do the loot do. Okay, well, thank you so much for the uh, the interview. I look forward to meeting everybody tomorrow night and for the rest of the week in Canada. Almost, Heathen Scum. Do do the loot do. Doop doo to loop doo. Uh, almost doop doo to loop doo. <laughs> doop doo the loop doo. Almost doop doo to loop doo. <laughs> I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> oh, you just have to. You have to just finish it off. Doop doo to loop doo. Doop doo to loop doo. Almost heathen scum of the mentors. Doop doo to loop doo. Yeah, I'm gonna let Mad Dog take a whack at this. Hold on a second. Back to Mad Dog. Mad Dog of the Mentors, thanks for your time. Keep on rocking in the free world and do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-